I want you to imagine um, you're in a big crowd of people uh, who know you, and Jesus is there, and Jesus singles you out and says, of all the people that have been born on this earth, there is no one greater than this person, than you. Can you imagine the feeling that you would have to have that kind of a reputation? You know, probably standing a little taller, shoulders back, uh, just walking with some confidence. Um, I just, wow. But what really amazes me is um, not that Jesus actually did say some, that he did say that about someone, but what amazes me is that um, that person was so humble about it. Um, this morning's gospel reading, uh, I'm going to be reading from John. Barbara's already read a little bit of the same story from the perspective of Luke. Um, it's about a very significant person. Uh, it's about a person that Jesus said, of all the people born, there's no one greater. Um, but he knew it was not about himself. So even with that amazing reputation, this, this man turned people away from himself and towards Jesus. And this person's name is John. He was commonly known as John the Baptizer. There was a, a John that was one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, that's, a, that's a different John, but it is that, that John that was the disciple that we are going to read um, his writings about John the Baptizer. So I'm going to be reading from John 1, verses 6 through 8, and then 19 through 28. And then we're also going to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians. And what I want us to, to focus on just for a, a brief moment here is um, you are called. And you're, you're called to, to do something that is unique, that is huge. Um, and you're also called to be someone. Uh, who is beautiful and free and loved. And uh, so I want us to look at, at, at those two things and what we can learn about that, that, that you are called to something, uh, to do something, and then also that you, um, you are called to be um, his, God's beloved. So beginning in, in John 1, verse 6, uh, we're going to read about John the baptizer and what he was called to do. And uh, just an interesting exchange that takes place here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Then down in verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So I, I think that's kind of funny. So who are you? Well, I can tell you first and foremost, I'm not the Messiah. Come back to that in just a moment. Then they asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent 
questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. This is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So I just want to mention that John knew who he was and who he was not. And the passage reminds me, this passage reminds me that if John didn't need to be the Messiah, if John didn't need to be the Savior, then neither do I. How many of us would be wise to heed John's example when we are asked, who are you? Um, a more contemporary form of that question might be, so what do you do? I mean, we, we're getting to know people for the first time. That's a pretty common question. So, so what do you do? It, it's odd, but we typically identify by what we do, our jobs in particular, um, when, we are, when we are asked. So tell me about yourself. Next time someone asks you um, what you do, try this on. Just look at them and say, well, I'm not the Messiah. Um, if you think that, that some part of the world or someone's life will fall apart without you, I've got great news. And I think this will lower your blood pressure to hear it. Um, you Just admit that you're not the Messiah. On your business card, um, draw a line through your job title and right above it, not general manager of the universe. John knew what he was called to do. And I was listening to a podcast by Ruth Haley Barton, and she makes a great point of application for us during COVID. Um, even if you know what it is that you're supposed to do in life, and John, very clearly, he said, I am, I am not the light that you're looking for, but I am sent to bear witness of the light. And that's, that was his calling, was to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. But what, what Ruth Haley Barton said was, even if you know what it is you're to do in life, there's a really good chance that you've had to rethink how to do it because of COVID. How many of us can agree to that? I mean, we, we know what we're supposed to be doing right now. We know what our jobs are, um, but our routines have been radically changed. Um, nothing is normal. And so now we're having to rethink, well, how do I, how do, I do what I'm supposed to be doing as a, as a parent, as a friend, as an employee, as a boss, as a, as a follower of Jesus and wanting to serve and, and put myself out there for others? How am I supposed to put myself out there for others if I can't be with others? There's a really good chance that you are having to rethink how to do whatever it is that God's called you to do. <clears throat> so what's the invitation in this? What might God be inviting us into if we're having to rethink how to do what we're called to do? Maybe the invitation is to allow God to pull you out of the comfort zone of your calling. The invitation could be perhaps to be okay with doing less and accomplishing less. And I know that that really cuts against the grain of our mindset 
of our American mindset and even our, our American Christian mindset. But maybe God right now is saying it's not about doing more and accomplishing more right now. The, inv the invitation might be try something totally different. The invitation in this season of lockdown is to be okay in your being and not just in your doing. See, we understand and accept the different seasons of nature. Um, the staff and I, we were talking about this earlier this past week. There's the springtime of planting. There's the summer of new growth, the autumn of harvest. These are analogies that we use in our own life to talk about just the, just the seasons. You know, we're not always growing or we're not always harvesting. But there's the springtime of planting, and with that is some hope. Uh, there's the summer of new growth that gives us a sense of, yeah, we're making progress. Then, of course, we always love the autumn harvest. This is where, wow, I mean, we are, we are really blessed, and we are a blessing to others. But the season we try to deny or skip over is the barrenness of winter. Winter is a season of fruitlessness. It's a time of cutting back, or to use an agricultural term, it's a time of pruning. I'm wrestling with this pandemic because maybe this entire pandemic is winter. It's a time of pruning more than harvesting. And I'm not, I'm not at all saying that God hasn't been growing you or hasn't been bearing fruit, but I'm just saying in general, what if this is a something that not that God wanted to happen. He would never want a pandemic to fall upon the people that he loves. But what if he's like, I, I could use this season for a time of pruning and preparing my people for great growth. Winter is a time of trimming away the old and the dead more than encountering the new growth of a summer season. Winter in most parts of the world is colored by grays and browns. Doesn't that make the vibrant colors of spring all the more beautiful? I say all that to emphasize this point that even when we are sure of our calling, we will encounter winter seasons that challenge us to grow in unseen ways. Even though we are well-versed in what bore fruit in the past, in the winter, God may call us to learn new ways of doing familiar things. I can tell you that as a church, we must learn new ways of planting and growing if we are to reap a harvest. The winter of this pandemic has forced us to learn some new methods that we otherwise have kept pushing off to the side. The winter of the pandemic is really just uncovering, honestly, what has been there all along. The ineffectiveness, sometimes, of local churches to actually impact the communities and the cities around them. Because again, it's, it's not about us. <laughs> and it hurts a lot to confess to a weak autumn harvest followed by a bitter winter. But winter is not the final season. If we are willing, we can plant in new ways. The advent of the Messiah was a very new method for those who were familiar with their centuries-long religion. Instead of a works-based sacrificial system, 
a new covenant was born with Jesus. His blood and his perfect life and the new life and his resurrection, all of these were new to them two millennia ago. And beginning with the book of Acts, we read after a 400-year-long winter, we read about the spring of new ways of planting and pointing people to Jesus. It was still about salvation by the grace of God. That didn't change, nor will it. Uh, it was still about a new life of worshiping God and ordering lives around him. That didn't change, nor has it since. It's still about trust and a belief that what was manifest, um, a belief that was manifest by, by actions. And that's not and will not change. So what has God called you to do? And how might this season be a way where God is preparing you maybe to do the same thing, but in a new way? Now, I want us to quickly look at 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to read um, six, verses 16 through 24. And Paul is kind of bringing it home. He's, been, he's written this letter to the Thessalonians who have this deep longing for the second coming of Christ, for the second advent of Jesus. And after he has been encouraging these people, he kind of wraps it up and says, you know, I know you're waiting and you're eager but I want to describe to you what the good life is right here, right now. You don't have to just wait for the good life when Jesus comes back again. We can experience that right now. And so he begins to describe the good life in this way, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about the second coming. And then this verse, verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Let me repeat those last few words. And he will do it. Okay, so like I said, Paul has just described this good life. Uh, it's a life of perpetual joy, ongoing prayer, unlimited gratitude. It's a life in which we lack nothing. And God will do that? I mean, that's how he concludes this. He says, and he will do it. Verse 23, the verse right before it, um, begins with uh, just this declaration. It's, it's a blessing. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. In other words, there's this process of being made whole, of experiencing peace and shalom, and it is God who calls us to a life in which our whole self, spirit, soul, and body, are made whole and, and sanctified. That is a work that only God can do. And Paul says, don't worry, 
he will do it. Again, that life of wholeness is not something that we attain in our strength or by our wisdom. God does it. So let me kind of illustrate it this way. And actually, I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to tell this story, but it's a picture of how um, what we are called to do is something that actually God is doing through us and who we are called to be, to live out this good life. That too is something that God accomplishes. Um, When my son was a little boy, um, several feet shorter than what he is now, uh, he wanted to help me mow the yard. And Beth and I bought him a toy lawnmower. Maybe you've seen those. Maybe you had one when you were a kid. Um, uh, the, The little toy mower we bought him, it made a lawnmower sound as you pushed it around the yard. And it also made bubbles. It was kind of the green version of burned off exhaust coming out of this little toy lawnmower. And so as I got ready to mow the yard, I'd ask Jack if he would want to help. So Jack got his mower out of the shed as I did the same with mine. I filled my mower with gas. He filled his with soapy water. And off we went back and forth and back and forth across the yard, Jack following me everywhere I went. Big grins on both of our faces. And we finished mowing the yard. And after we finished mowing the yard, we would kind of step back and we would admire our good work. Verse 24 that we just read, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who called Jack, me, (laughs) to mow, is the one who accomplished the work. At that time, Jack didn't have the strength or the proper lawn equipment to actually mow the lawn, but the joy for him, and even doubly so, the joy for me, was time spent together while I mowed the lawn. I was the one who called Jack to help me mow the lawn, but I knew I was going to be doing all the work. In other words, I wasn't disappointed at the end of that where I was like, I I had to do all this myself. No, the point was we were together and it was a great time. And when our sweaty selves walked back into the house, when Jack and I would walk in with blades of grass stuck to our sweaty little legs, Beth never asked me if Jack was helpful. She smiled and asked if we enjoyed our time together. Partnering with God for the fulfillment of the good life is a process. It's a back and forth and back and forth across the days and the seasons of life. And as God goes about working out that transforming work that he does, guess what? We get to enjoy his company. He's called us to do some things. He's called us into a new life. He's the one that does those things. And we get to enjoy that time with him. This week, follow God and watch God do what only God can do. And relax a little bit, remembering that you do not have to be general manager of the universe. When asked who you are or what you do, breathe a sigh of relief that you're not the Messiah. 
but also smile really big because you get to walk with the Messiah all throughout the week. And before we share in communion together, um, take a moment and invite God to search your heart. Look back over this week, much like Jack and I looked over the freshly mown grass. What work has God done this week? What's something that God has done this week? Because he's God. <laughs> and take a moment to rest in what God can do, what God did do. And then right there where you are, just put this in your own words. Tell God that you enjoyed walking with him as he did that work. And looking ahead to this week, you might not know exactly what direction God's going to go with his mower, what he's going to accomplish this week, but tell him you enjoy walking with him in this week upcoming. Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open, all of our desires are known. And from you, no secrets are hidden. As we prepare for this special meal, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your spirit, that we may love you with our whole heart and magnify you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you grab your bread and your cup? Reading from uh, Paul's account of that Last Supper from 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Anointed Messiah, we give thanks for your willing sacrifice. You did all the saving work, and we get the joy of walking with you in this upcoming week, throughout this upcoming season, for the rest of our lives and on into eternity. Amen.